0: visions dreams oh my what in the world is going on here who would have imagined followers of Jesus being accused of drunkenness at nine o'clock in the morning and then it's explained as a prophecy from Joel that includes visions and dreams and what in the world could possibly be going on and then there's this business of speaking languages they didn't know Oh boy, there's a lot to unpack when we look at the incident that we call Pentecost. That actually took place on the day of Pentecost, not because we've named it that, but because it was that. And we're going to take a look at those whole issues, those ideas, and and try to come to grips with better understandings. We're going to put aside what we don't understand because there are mysterious things, and we're going to concentrate on what we can understand because we approach the Bible as though God gave it to us for our benefit, for our understanding. Well, welcome to Faith Is. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and I'm really glad you've joined us again this week. We have a quite interesting study before us, and we're going to talk about some things and stretch our understandings and come to some conclusions and leave some things unconcluded, But That's a lot of times the way we come to the Bible and the way we leave. We get what we can for these days, and we trust God for the things that we don't fully understand or maybe aren't fully explained in the Bible. As we get started, I want to give a shout out to my church and thank them for their sponsorship of this time we have together, Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. I'm the pastor there, and they support this enterprise we call Faith Is and They want me to do this to benefit you, and that's why we do it. So I hope we can stretch you in God's direction during these moments we have together, and I hope that as I talk, you hear him talk, and you respond to what he says. It's not really so important what I have to say. It's very important what he has to say. So when he speaks, we need to listen. So let's plunge into this whole idea. Uh, Sometimes Pentecost is a little scary, and and I— understand that there are things that I'm not sure we've fully come to grips with and we come to some conclusions, but you know, God is still God. And I'm really, as much as I try to understand, I'm really glad I don't get everything because if God was so small that I could understand everything about him and everything he wants us to know, then he wouldn't be big enough to handle the things that I need him to handle and that you need him to handle. So we trust Him, because faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And so we come to the Bible with that confidence that we can trust God. So we want to take a look at this whole event that we call, and the Bible calls, Pentecost. A lot of things going on here. We want to talk about what happened as a result of the Holy Spirit coming and the announcements that people made. We want to talk a little bit about the the dynamic of what was going on with the languages that was happening there on the day of Pentecost, and and what does that mean for language in our day? What does that mean for our testimony in our day, our witness to the things that we know to be so? Well, we'll get to all of that, but as I've looked into this and thought about this, and and really in terms of everything that that we look at the Bible, it, it always comes to me that there are so many things that we know about from the history of God working with his people, and we need to remind ourselves because that helps us make meaning and understand what God is doing when he reveals himself in the pages of the New Testament. So when we come to Pentecost, one of the things we need to remind ourselves is that Pentecost was not a new thing. Pentecost was a feast, an annual feast for God's people. It was a one-day harvest festival. I sometimes think of it like Thanksgiving as a one-day festival. Well, it's not totally one day because there's a lot of preparation, and then there's some things that happen afterwards. But that's the way we do Harvest Festival that we call Thanksgiving. They had a Harvest Festival to celebrate that God had provided for them, and they would have food for the months ahead. The day of Pentecost, or this harvest festival, occurred seven weeks after Passover, or you can think of it as 50 days after Passover. In fact, the word Pentecost comes from the Greek word, and it means 50th. So the 50th day after Passover, or seven weeks after Passover, was the day of Pentecost. And they celebrated the harvest. As I said, it involved extensive sacrifice. God's people came to Jerusalem, gathered in Jerusalem from all over for this harvest festival. Sometimes they stayed in Jerusalem after Passover because it was only 50 days, and if they had traveled a long distance, perhaps they didn't get to come every year for Passover and Pentecost, so they may have stayed because it just made more sense to them. But there were a lot of people in in Jerusalem, those who had remained, those who lived there, those who gathered especially for Pentecost. And also interestingly— That not only was it a harvest festival, but along about this time in the history of God's people, it began to become a celebration of the law given by God at Sinai. So you remember the story, Moses went up on Sinai and God gave him what we call the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. And so they celebrated that along with this idea of the harvest festival at, at Pentecost. And and when you think about that celebration of the giving of the law, that is a link and a reminder of covenant because they followed the law because that was with the covenant expectations that God had of them. So Pentecost is not a new idea. It didn't just happen for the first time as it's recorded in the book of Acts. It was an ongoing festival, but God used that ongoing festival to help move us farther in his direction. And he used that celebration to give to the church, the people of God, the gift that Jesus promised, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But let's think about this in terms of what we know about the the history of God's people and some of the events from the Old Testament. Now, when we think about language and we see what happened in language, and we'll talk more about this in a little bit, in Acts chapter 2, it reminds us of another language incident. In Genesis chapter 11. Now, to be sure, the Acts story doesn't point specifically to the story in Genesis 11, the story we usually call the Tower of Babel. But there's no question that there is a language link between the two, and it seems important for us to at least recognize that this is not the first time God has been involved in the language of people. So let's, let's review and let's take a look at this idea of language and what happened in Genesis chapter 11. I want to read verses 1 through 9. So if you're following along in your Bible, if you can turn to Genesis chapter 11. I'll start at verse 1. I'm going to read from the New International Version, and I'll continue hear me say it too often. Choose the version of the Bible that you will read, that you understand. It does no good to have a version of the Bible that you won't read or can't understand. Find an English translation that makes sense to you, that helps you hear from God, and use that one. So if it's the NIV, you'll see what, what I'm seeing as I read the story from Genesis chapter 11. If it's a different translation, you may see different words and different word order. Don't worry about that. It's the same story. So from Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Quite an interesting story. Quite an interesting story. And it centers around this idea of language, which also occurs on the day of Pentecost, as recorded in Acts chapter 2. So... In Genesis, we read that they had a common language, so they all understood each other, and they decided to build a tower to the heavens to make a name for themselves. Now, towers in ancient times were often built like this, and you can see the ruins of towers yet today, and and people would build these towers so that the gods, as they conceived of them, not Yahweh, not the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but the gods that they had developed for themselves, so the gods could come down and the people could go up. It was an attempt to breach the separation between heaven and earth, you might say, between the gods and the people. And so they had purpose to build this tower, and God looked at it and said, hmm, they have common language, they understand each other, and, and if they keep that, then Nothing they plan will be impossible for them. Well, that, that's really striking because God demonstrates a lot of confidence in the people at that point. That's really interesting. Uh, that's an idea to pursue a different time. But God's response when he recognized the potential of those people and what they were doing, his response was to confuse the language, and because of the confused language, they couldn't understand each other, and so he scattered the people all over the earth, and they stopped building the city and the tower, uh, confused Language. Suddenly they couldn't understand. They, they called this incident the, the Tower of Babel or the, this place called Babel. And it's called that because that's where the Lord confused the language. And the word in the, in the uh, Hebrew that's used that we call Babel sounds like the Hebrew word for confused. So um, God did indeed confuse them by confusing the language very interesting here that, that in this case, language was used to scatter people because they couldn't understand. And we'll talk more about this, but in Acts chapter 2, language was used so people could understand. And some people have suggested that that one way to think about Pentecost is that on the one hand, at Babel, God confused the language, but at Pentecost, He sent the Holy Spirit so that people could understand. And instead of separating, He attempted to pull people together so they could understand and follow him. Really interesting to think about this idea of language, because sometimes too much is made of this idea of language or what sometimes people refer to as tongues, and we'll talk a little bit about, more about that when we get to, to Acts chapter 2. So that's one story that, that has this connection to Pentecost that I, th- I think is really fascinating and, and ought to help us think about and, and understand what God is up to. There's another story that relates to the day of Pentecost, and I mentioned a few minutes ago that part of this harvest festival had included a celebration of the giving of the law to Moses and to the people at Mount Sinai. You remember that story because God had gotten his people out of Egypt, and he had said to Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh finally did. And you might remember that when Moses went to Pharaoh, he said, you need to let the people go so that they can worship God. And so it really became a a struggle between the gods of Egypt or Pharaoh, who's often viewed as a god, and the one true living God. And of course, uh, God always wins. And he won and the people left and they marched out of Egypt. He got them across the Red Sea, even though they were under great threat from Pharaoh's advancing army, and led them all the way to Sinai, where they had this amazing encounter with god and so here they are camped at mount sinai and god tells them to get ready because i'm coming down now fascinating there because we talked about babel about the idea of the gods coming down here god initiates this and says you people get ready i'm going to come down on sinai so they're getting ready um they're told to be careful where they stand because when God comes down, it's, a, it's an important, fearsome thing. And so Moses helped them understand the limits of where they were supposed to stay because if they violated the limits, they would die. And sure enough, after they did their preparation and there were a number of things God asked them to do to prepare, on the third day, God came down. And he came down in thunder and lightning. It must have been quite a sight. The scriptures describe a thick cloud as God came down. They describe a very loud trumpet blast. Now, probably when it says trumpet blast, it's not trumpet like we think of it because those had not been invented. We need to think more shofar and the the blowing of the shofar, that kind of sound. Uh, Maybe they didn't even know how to exactly describe that sound, but it was a very loud sound, likely similar to the shofar, and the people trembled. I mean, they, they saw what was going on, and, and we all understand. We would, too, because the Lord himself descended in fire. Smoke billowed from the mountain. I mean, smoke billowed from the mountain like from a furnace. The whole mountain, the scriptures say, trembled violently. Talk about an earthquake uh, or something like that. Uh, What a sight to see the fire of God descend on the mountain, to see the smoke rolling up, to, to feel the mountain trembling violently. And while all this is going on, the sound of that trumpet or shofar got louder and louder and louder. And I don't suppose I need to mention that there's a lot of parallel imagery between that incident and what happens in the book of Acts. Certainly what happens in the book of Acts isn't quite as dramatic as God coming in fire and smoke and shaking a a mountain violently and a blast of a trumpet or shofar resounding louder and louder. But certainly there was a noise like a wind. Certainly there was visible evidence that looked like fire to them in Acts chapter 2. And so when we look at these stories, we shouldn't be so shocked by all of this, because it is just God doing what God has done. Now, that's not, I'm not saying that to say we should take it lightly, but we should at least have some perspective to realize that this is God doing what God has done. So it's not unprecedented entirely. It's different. What happened at Pentecost had not happened like that before. The Holy Spirit as a gift had not been given before. We all understand that. But some of these evidences of the presence of God were not so unusual. They had happened before, and we can understand that. I don't know if the people in those days made that connection quickly, but certainly God intends for us to see how He has moved consistently over time, and these evidences of His presence are not unprecedented. This is, <laughs> I, I guess we could say, I don't mean this to be uh, irreverent, but I guess we could say God does what God does. And that's what happened with the language at Babel and with the absolutely incredible demonstration at Sinai. Just unbelievable. Well, so that's those are two good stories. And I think we ought to look at one more. Would, would you like to do that with me? Let's look at one more. And we want to look at that from from Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Now, whenever you think of Ezekiel, and I got to do it, okay, so just you, you play along. Dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones. Now hear the word of the Lord. You know, that's Ezekiel, isn't it? And we think about that when we think of Ezekiel. And that's good that we do because that's exactly what we want to talk about here is about what happened in that valley of dry bones and, and what God was up to. So let's take a look at Ezekiel chapter 37, and and again, I think I'd like to read that passage, and it's got some mysterious stuff in it. It's, It's got some fascinating stuff. It's got some thrilling stuff. I mean, it's the Bible, so it should have all of that, shouldn't it? So here we go from the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel chapter 37. And so God is speaking to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel says this, The hand of the Lord was on me, And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the valley of the floor, on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Oh, that's just a terrific story. I, I just love that story and think about the, the bones and the knee bone connected and the thigh bone connected and all that stuff like that. And, and I, I really like that God comes along and says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And, and Ezekiel's got the, got the answer. I mean, he just nails it. Ezekiel says to God, well, you know whether they can or not. <laughs> I thought that Ezekiel, he's way ahead of himself there. And then God says to him, prophesy to the dry bones. And Ezekiel prophesied. And just like that, there was a sound, and it, and it became quickly apparent that God was moving across those dry, those dry bones. And they were rattling, and they were coming together, and they connected, and they were formed into flesh. And then they needed one more thing. And so we have God showing up by saying to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And, and what, a, what an amazing picture we get out of that bones that were dry and dead have now been brought to life, and the breath of God enters those newly formed bodies, and they stood on their feet, a vast army, and and isn't that similar to what happens at the day of Pentecost, that God energizes his people, and while no one would argue that they were dead at that point, and this prophecy here and this story certainly from Ezekiel has other connections, but isn't it amazing that God breathes into those lifeless bones, scattered bones, and they come alive, and because of the breath of God, and and there's another imagery for you, this breath of God idea And the wind of the Spirit are all wrapped up in the same imagery in the Bible. And so the wind of the Spirit, the breath of God, enters those newly formed bodies, those united bones, those bones now covered with flesh, and they come alive. And isn't that one of the things that God wants us to take away from Pentecost, that when the Spirit breathes life into the church, it comes alive? And if there's anything we take away from today, and there are several things I think we can take away, it seems like this idea of the church coming to life should really matter. The church needs needs to wake from its slumber. And when the church realizes it's the church, and when the church asserts itself as the church, when the people of God realize that there is a God in heaven who has not abandoned them, but is with them, amazing things can happen too many times today we see the church retreating and saying, well, we're just us. You know, you and God are always a majority. When God is in it, there's more than enough for what we need to accomplish. And we need to remind each other of that sometimes because sometimes things do get discouraging. And so, so when God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says to God, you alone know, we can, can say to God, we don't seem to have much going for us, but you know what's possible. We may not be dry bones, and I hope we aren't, but we can say to God, God, you know what's possible, and you know what we need to make the impossible possible. And God, you remember what you said at Babel, that, that these people were so capable that they could do whatever they set their minds to doing. That they could plan things and it wouldn't be impossible for them. What might be possible for us when the breath of God comes at Pentecost and energizes his people? Maybe we need to prophesy to ourselves a little bit about that. Maybe we need to take heart a little more than we have. And maybe we need to remember that the God who saw people planning things and Knew that they could accomplish more than they realized, and he had to intervene to keep them from doing things they shouldn't. And the God who met his people in Egypt and delivered them from evil so that they could worship him, that they could go and be free to worship. See, this idea of freedom of worship was God's idea all along. And so, out of the Egypt story came the incident of Passover when God moved through the land of Egypt, and and the firstborn of the Egyptians died. But God's people who who killed the lamb, who painted the blood on the doorposts, who ate the Passover meal, who did what God said, they were protected from that evil that moved through the land and killed all those firstborns. God Himself stood in the way and protected them. And so we see the the connection between Passover when the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, gave Himself for us at the cross, when the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. We see the comparison because the story of the Exodus and and the beginning of, of Passover is really a salvation story. And so The connection becomes that Jesus came and he died at Passover time. You remember that from the story of what we call Holy Week. And he atoned in his death for the sins of the world. And he went to the grave, but then came out and came back to life in the same way God's people came back to life, leaving Egypt behind and the death of slavery. And God led them all the way to Sinai. And he met them there in a most remarkable way. Remember, it was God himself that came down in fire. It was smoke billowing up like from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. And the blast of that shofar got louder and louder and louder. You've been to fireworks. Can you imagine something louder than that? I I can hardly imagine. I wonder if the people could hardly stand with all of that, certainly they trembled. We know that from the scripture. But here God met them and he came down to them. And, and then in Ezekiel, he breathed life into the dry bones. He breathed life into the church. And at the same way at Pentecost, he came down to his people and he breathed life into them. And we see the evidence. We see the language being used to bring people together so they could hear the message of God. We see the the evidence of God coming down in in what looked like flames of fire above the heads of each person. Remarkable, remarkable imagery that God gives us of these things. And and doesn't it just come alive in your in your understanding and in, in your mind? And, and doesn't it just begin to grip you with the idea that that the God who met his people in Egypt and delivered them from evil and met his people at Sinai and came down in fire and smoke and in shaking a mountain and in a loud blast of the shofar, that same God breathes life into his people over and over just like he breathed life into the dry bones in Ezekiel's valley. And he wants to breathe life into us today. That's what he came to do so that the church could be the church, so the people could rejoice, so the announcement of the good news that a new king has come could be made and the whole world could understand. And we, the renewed, the revived, the dry bones people of God, have the privilege of announcing that to everyone. Well, it's just an amazing story, and and we want to focus, as I said earlier, on the things we understand about Pentecost, and we're going to talk some more about that, and we're going to turn to Acts chapter 2 when we get back from a little break, so take a breath, breathe in the breath of life, and let's get ready to tackle the story of Pentecost and see what God has in mind for all of us as we go forward following Him. It is a remarkable opportunity.
1: Because of COVID-19, the average American worries about their immune health four times a day. That's 112 times per year. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a -a one-a-day pill-free gel pack. Tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The America Out Loud family is comprised of patriots in the true sense of the word. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty and the Constitution to help save America for future generations to come. AmericaOutloud.com. It's a fight for the soul of humanity.
0: Our global experts are brilliant
1: writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Welcome
0: back faith is. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and we've been talking about Pentecost today. We've been talking about prophecy and visions and dreams and all of the things that went into this most remarkable event that we call Pentecost, that God called Pentecost for a long time leading up to the day of Pentecost we think about. And so we want to focus now on on what happened on that day. And so we want to kind of go through this down through the scriptures in Acts chapter 2 and begin to think about what is it that that we can learn and understand from this most remarkable day, a pivotal day in the life of God's people, because never before in this way had the gift of the Holy Spirit been given. And so what happened on that day and what might it mean to us? And and where do we go from here? So let's take a look at that and see. We're, We're talking about the day of Pentecost. and The day of Pentecost started as a harvest feast, a festival, a thanksgiving to God, similar to what I suggested we might think of Thanksgiving. It also included the celebration of the gift of the law at Sinai and a reminder of the covenant. And So here they are, they're responding to what Jesus said. He went back to heaven and said, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. So the disciples are all together on the day of Pentecost and they hear something. And the scriptures describe it as they hear a sound like a violent wind from heaven or from the sky. So it doesn't say it is the wind, but it sounds like the wind, and so there's a connection there, and and they would have gotten that connection because the way the words in in their languages referred to, to wind and spirit, there was overlap with that similarity, same word used, and so the house is filled with this sound that sounds like wind, and they and we should understand that that wind symbol, because of the way it's used in both the Hebrew and the Old Testament and the Greek and the New, is a symbol of the arrival of the Holy Spirit. I don't think they knew what was happening right away, but I think they pretty quickly caught on. So the violent wind that came, or the violent sound of the wind, it wasn't actually a violent wind, it was a sound that sounded like a violent wind, come symbolizing the Holy Spirit, and then they looked and they saw something that that they didn't exactly know how to describe. They, they said it looked like, and, and some of the English translations say tongues of fire, and it uses that same word when it refers to languages later on. And so there's sometimes there's a little uh, confusion about that. So let's just pause a little bit and talk about that. Uh, as I understand this chapter 2 from Acts, and as I'm describing the events, and as you can follow along in, in your Bible, you, you'll see what I'm talking about. The whole point of the of the tongues or languages in this chapter has to do with understanding a language that wasn't their own or speaking a language that wasn't their own. Now I know there's a whole lot of conversation that people get into about a, what we sometimes call it an a prayer language or an angelic language. You know, that doesn't at all appear in Acts chapter two. So we're not going to be talking about that. We're going to talk about what happened on the day of Pentecost and what The Bible teaches us from Acts chapter 2 about that. So don't let the the use of the the tongues referring to tongues of fire, uh, I think it helps us to understand what God was trying to get at when we think of them as flames of fire. So they saw these things that looked like flames of fire, and they came and they settled on each person in the room. Now, remember, the disciples were all together. They hear this sound that sounds like a violent wind, and then they see these flame-like things that settle on each person. Wind is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and there's clearly that connection. We saw that from from the Old Testament examples I mentioned a few minutes ago. And it's still present here, the, the idea of the wind the sound of the wind being representative of the Holy Spirit. And fire was also a symbol of the divine presence. And we saw that when God prepared his people at Sinai, and he came down in fire. So it represented his presence coming down. And Now, sometimes fire is associated with judgment. That's, that's true as well. But in this case, it's not about judgment. And the context makes that clear. It's about God's presence coming. And each person there is now filled with the Holy Spirit. Some, some English translations have used the, the idea of clothed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, however you want to think about that, the Holy Spirit came and infused his people. It's also important, I think, to make sure that, that we distinguish, and, and it's obvious and we don't get confused about this, that this is the Holy Spirit, not an evil spirit. There was evidence in the New Testament where Jesus encountered evil spirits and took care of business. This is clearly identified, and it's important to understand that this is identified as the Holy Spirit. Now, the effect of the Holy Spirit coming is, is quite interesting. And, and so we want to consider the effect of the Holy Spirit and, and what is an appropriate effect for us to understand. Well, in this case, it's clearly the effect that the Holy Spirit had on the people was that they spoke languages that they did not know. And, and it's clear from the scriptures that they spoke these languages as the Spirit enabled them. So, so we see the story tells us about the sound of the, of the wind, the symbol of the Holy Spirit, the fire that appears, the symbol of the presence of God. And now we see The result of that presence is that these people can now speak languages that they don't know, other languages that they haven't learned, that aren't their native tongue, we would say. And and so it's very interesting, as we've talked about the Tower of Babel, that, that at the Tower of Babel, God confused speech, so the people didn't understand each other, but here God provided understandable speech so the people there in Jerusalem could understand very interesting how that all fits together. So that's a little bit of a beginning look at the day of Pentecost. Let's, let's step back now, having given that, and then you can begin to put that together with the reading of the scripture, because I want to read the first little bit of that, and, and then we'll take it from there. But let's start in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So that's what we talked about so far. So now you hear the the text and you you heard the explanation that I was providing for that. Let's continue now to see what they did about that, because we see the Spirit arriving and we see the evidence of that in the sound and in the visible flames of fire or tongues of fire, and then we observe that they were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages. If you have certain English translations, they will give you a text note indicating that, that using the word languages instead of tongues is perfectly acceptable, So all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then, how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And then it goes on to um, list some of the native languages that, that were represented there. There were just a whole bunch of them, because remember, people came from all over to gather in Jerusalem for the, the harvest festival of Pentecost, and they would have all been there. And, and they're hearing them, and it continues down in verse, verse 11 we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues or languages. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? So we have a little bit of benefit because we looked at the Old Testament, and so we have a little sneak preview on what does this mean. But now these people are kind of catching up and saying, what does this mean? So all these people from every nation, as it's described here, from all over, and it lists bunches of them because they really did come from all over. They hear the sound and they all— rushed to assemble together, wondering what's going on. Uh, likely they would have assembled in the temple courts because they're, they're described as, as Jewish people, and they would have been Jewish people who gathered for the, for the festival. So they likely assembled in the temple courts. It would have been large enough for a bunch of people to, to get together. It, it describes them as bewildered, not, not quite being able to figure out what's going on here because they're, they're hearing their own language spoken, and, and that just amazes them. Now, to be sure, and we'll acknowledge this, but uh, I don't think we need to make more of it than than just to acknowledge it. People wrestle with, okay, did the disciples who were filled with the Holy Spirit speak a language that they did not know? And so by speaking that language, the, the native speakers understood it, or did they speak some other way and God allowed the native speakers to hear it as though it was in their language? Uh, people wrestle with that. Uh, we'll let them wrestle with it. It seems to me as I read this the, the scriptures, that that the most uh, sensible and obvious explanation is that that different disciples spoke different languages, and the people heard those languages because that disciple could speak that language. We'll let other people wrestle with that. But clearly the the, the issue is understandable speech clearly what God was doing was helping people hear and understand in their own language. And there's nothing like a person's native language for understanding. It's just, it's who they are. It's how they think. It really matters. God understood that. Now, what they're curious about is how could this be? I mean, we know that we can have Simultaneous translation, gifted people with language can hear someone speaking one language and translate it to another one as the speaking is happening. So it's simultaneous translation. That wasn't going on here, but something was going on and they couldn't make sense of it because all of the people speaking were Galileans and they would not have understood the language. And they heard the wonders of God. So they heard the testimony of of these followers of Jesus, and they were amazed and perplexed, and they could not put it all together. They didn't know what it meant. (laughs) Really quite interesting. Uh, verse 13. Some of however made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Well, they didn't know what to think about this, and it was such a crazy phenomenon that they figured, well, these people must be drunk. Well, Peter explained rather quickly that, no, they weren't drunk. It's only nine in the morning. It's too early for you to even think they might get drunk. And and besides, uh, what he doesn't explain, but what we know is that on festival days like Pentecost, because remember, it was the day of Pentecost, on festival days, Jews did not break their fast. In other words, they didn't eat breakfast until at least 10 a.m. So it was very unlikely that they would have been drunk, and they should have understood that, But, you know, when people don't quite know what's going on, they they have to find some explanation. And so I kind of suspect that these people who were hearing all this were grasping at straws, just trying to to get their bearings because they were just so bewildered. They were so amazed. They were so perplexed. They couldn't quite make sense of it. So Peter goes on as he gives this first sermon to, to explain to them that, this is a fulfillment of prophecy, and he refers to the prophet Joel and how Joel said that, that God would pour out his spirit on men and women. And the result, as, as we look down through the quotation from the prophecy, is that these people would see visions. They would dream dreams. In fact, it says sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions, and old men will dream dreams. So You should expect some unusual things to happen. And uh, that's pretty specific about what's going on. Prophecy, visions, dreams. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, That's a lot to take in. We don't even need to talk about the issue of of languages or angelic tongues. What's going on with that? Well, the meaning of prophecy or prophesy in this case would have to do with, with people are going to tell what God says. And we often think of, of prophesying as predicting the future, and there's an element of that. But most commonly in the Bible, it's forth the message of God. It's saying to people, here's what the Lord says, and, and helping them understand what God is talking about. So clearly that's going on, and, and Joel would have had every intention of pointing them in that direction. He goes on to talk about how there will be signs in heaven and on earth, and he refers to blood, fire, and smoke. Now, and we've heard something about fire and smoke, uh, blood at Passover when they left Egypt. So these things are not images that, that are unfamiliar to us or to them. And so that, that's going on, and, and you know, it just adds to the amazement, it seems to me. He talks about how the sun would be dark and the moon would turn to be like blood. And he says all of this is gonna happen before the day of the Lord. And that's, a, that's an interesting reference, the day of the Lord, which would likely have been some reference to a judgment time. And, and whatever all of that means, and we're not gonna unpack all of that today now, there are some other things we need to get to. But apparently, in, as Peter talks about all of this, and as Joel the prophet had given it to, to us and to them, it surfaces a need for salvation. Because we look at verse 21, still referring to the prophet Joel, Peter says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So apparently when the people were hearing this, when the people understood what Joel was saying, they realized they needed help. And so Peter concludes this first part of the, of the sermon by saying to them that there is help, call on the Lord, and you will be saved. And that's true today. Maybe you need that. Maybe you need to call on the Lord. Maybe you realize that you're far from God. Well, take Peter's advice. Call on the Lord. Turn to him. Jesus invited people to change their lives. And you can change your life. Stop doing what you know you shouldn't be doing and start doing what you know you should be doing. And and that's changing your life. That's what you're called to. That's what Jesus invited us to do. And then he invited us to depend upon Him, to give allegiance to Him, and to continually follow His teaching, His commands, so that we would do what we're supposed to do and our lives would continue to change. That would be representative of repentance. That's what repentance is. It's changing our lives. So maybe you need to do that, and I want to say, stop right now and do it. There's time right now. Change your life. Start now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till later today go ahead, make up your mind, change your life, give allegiance to Jesus. So let's go back through and, uh, and think about some of the things that, that we've talked about and what's going on here. Now, when Jesus was giving his final instructions to his disciples, one of the things that he said to them, that they were to announce the good news, the story of Jesus, to everyone. And and much of what gets thought about in Pentecost terms and in looking at this story is this idea of languages and what does it mean? Well, it, it means some specific things here, and, and we need to come to grips with what we understand and not worry about what we don't understand, but we also need to understand that, that the use of language matters, because many times in the New Testament we will read and the people who have helped us with translation talk about how the good news of Jesus needs to be preached everywhere. Well, generally speaking, we think of preaching as a specific type of activity that only some of us do. If you're not a minister, you don't tend to think of yourself as someone who preaches. Well, when you read the scriptures and it says preach and you're not a, shall we say, preacher, then you might be tempted to believe that doesn't apply to you. When really what the Intent behind the scripture is that we are to be the ones who announce the good news of Jesus, and so if we don't get the meaning straight, we won't understand what Jesus has asked us to do. So Jesus said, "Tell everyone," and so we need to have that ability to communicate to people so that they can understand that Jesus is the Son of God, and and we need to follow Him. Uh, given that Jesus said to announce this. Why are we surprised that when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, the result of His coming was the ability for people to announce the good news about Jesus in a language the people could hear? We make a lot of that, but let's make a lot more of this simple idea that, that what the church needed was the ability to communicate to all these people so they could make the announcement about Jesus. And so isn't it a principle that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to his people the church so that we can accomplish his purposes and if his purposes was for an announcement he would give that to the people so they could make the announcement and we need to be making that announcement too now it's also interesting that that when it comes to the ability to make an announcement we tend to to get a little intimidated sometimes and and I want to help us not be you know we're quick to say here in our country that we have freedom of speech and we Turn to the First Amendment, and we talk about how that we have freedom of speech, and and we value that. We think that's important, and it is. Uh, I was, (laughs) I maybe not surprised. I don't know how to think about responding to it, but I, I read earlier this week that Prince Harry called freedom of speech a bonkers idea. I don't know all he meant by that, but clearly those of us who have grown up in this country, we don't think freedom of speech is bonkers. We think it matters. We think we should be free to to share our ideas, to share our thoughts, not to abuse it. Of course, we don't want to do that, but we ought to be able to speak freely. And that's what the Holy Spirit did when he came at Pentecost, gave those people the ability to speak freely in a way others could understand. Now, if we value free speech, one of the things we ought to recognize is that God is going to empower his people to speak up for what's right. And so we should expect that. At the same time, We need to understand that one of the deeper problems of our days is this idea of self-censorship. People put peer pressure on us. They pressure us to believe certain ways and to say certain things and to refrain from sharing certain ideas because if that idea isn't in favor, they expect us not to say it or they're going to attack us in one way or another. And so many people are finding themselves reluctant to speak up for what's right. And I'm afraid, sometimes reluctant to speak up for what God says is right. Afraid to speak up to tell the story of Jesus. And we want to recognize that at Pentecost, because it dealt with language and the ability to communicate to people and help them understand, that God still wants to do that. He still wants to help us communicate to people so that they can understand. That's an important part of Pentecost, the freedom and the ability to make sense of things. And so we need to be people who, who tell the truth. I, I'm convinced one of the great gifts of the people of God to the world around us is the ability to tell the truth and to help people come to the truth. Now, I realize what you realize, a lot of people deny the truth. People don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear what they want to hear. But it seems to me that one of the things that God has allowed us to do as, as his people is to tell the truth in a way that helps people hear it. And and that's what happened to Pentecost. They were able to tell the story in a way that helped people hear it. So in whatever way God uses us, don't you agree that he wants us to have the language that we need to tell people the truth in a way that helps them hear it? And so we want to preserve that which is true. We want to protect that which is true. We want to defend that which is true because we are the church. And it's a little bit of a cliche by now, but it's still absolutely worth remembering that what happened on the day of Pentecost was the coming of the Spirit and the birth of the church. And so one of the lessons from the the enabling of the Holy Spirit that we saw on that day is to say, let the church be the church. And it's time for the church to assert itself as the church and not not to retreat not to withdraw, not to wring its hands about, oh my, what's going on, but to step up and to step out and to say, God has spoken to us and God is helping us. And there is a way we can stretch toward God. We don't have to shrink away from him. He is inviting us to come to him so that we can be set free, liberated in our understandings of of that which is so and that which is not so, so that we can have life the way it was meant to be lived. And that's what the church needs to say. There, are, there has never been a time when it's been any clearer that the battles that are going on all around us are battles between good and evil. And God did not send an evil spirit at Pentecost. He sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants the people of God to be energized by that spirit, to tell the story of God in a way that helps people hear from God so that they will know the truth and find the truth, setting them free. People all around us struggle. They just don't know which way to go. They get confused. They think this will help them or that will help them. They chase after that. They chase after that. They want to change the meaning of this and change the meaning of that, thinking that will somehow resolve the conflict in their heart in their mind. And God is saying to His people, He's saying to you, that you know the truth. You need to share the truth. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. This idea of Pentecost is just such a, such a neat idea, and the story is such a thrilling one. I hope you'll go back and read Acts chapter 2 again and, and again and, and begin to let the Spirit of God talk to you. Because when we let Him speak to us and when we let Him use us, we discover that faith really is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Because He came so that we could know what He wants us to know and find freedom in following Jesus. Amen.